0: In the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we celebrate the, after the 50 days after the glorious resurrection. We celebrate the descension of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and all the people that were gathered with them in sort of this new and different way. For the first time, the Holy Spirit is actually taking up residence within the human soul. Before this, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit would descend on a person for various reasons like when one of the prophets was inspired to speak, or to write, or to act in a particular way, so that God's will could be made known to His people. But He did not dwell within their soul. But something new happened in the day of Pentecost. God came and dwelt not only among us, like our Lord Jesus Christ, but within us, with the Holy Spirit. And so the promise of our salvation that we would be united with God began began to be made manifest, began to show. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit has a profound effect on the person. Because by this action, our transformation begins. The soul that comes in contact with God can't come in contact with Him and then just remain the same. It might be easy for us to see how somebody's behavior might change once they maybe join the church. Maybe in their eagerness to learn and absorb everything that our mother of the church has to give us, they begin to sort of follow her instructions concerning behavior, and maybe they start doing things differently than before. But actually the change does not end there, because these actions have an effect of their own. They begin to change the way that the person thinks, the way that a person perceives the world around them. If, for example, you wanted to develop compassion for somebody, the best way to begin this is to act of compassion, to be consistently compassionate. And when those compassion actions become sort of part of our body, the mind will begin to think in terms of compassion and the heart will begin to feel compassion. If you act towards somebody, in a loving manner, even though you don't have any feelings of love, or might, you might even have feelings of dislike for them, then after a short time, you're going to begin to love them in actuality, in actual fact. That's the effect of the body's action on the heart. This, by the way, sort of contradicts the idea that we have in our society of sort of falling in and out of love. Right? I can demonstrate love because it's not something that sort of strikes out of the blue for a mysterious reason and goes away. It's a result of something that is maintained by effort. But even actually here, our change doesn't end. Because once we develop these new thoughts, these new feelings, then our spirit also changes and begins to develop in our souls. And then we develop spiritual fruits. And these changes, the church calls those virtues. And these virtues are attracting the grace of God. And this grace transforms our actual nature. So that we stop having this nature of sin and begin to develop a nature that is sort of the likeness of God. So the Feast of the Resurrection and the Feast of Pentecost about are about transformation. In the Resurrection, we are reborn. We die and we're resurrected with Christ. And this new resurrected nature is then shaped and molded by the Church and is filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember, in the Gospel of St. Luke, our Lord Jesus Christ talks about an unclean spirit that has been cast out of somebody. And he says that the spirit has no place to sort of find rest. And so it goes back to its uh, former host. And he says when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And the intern dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So we can look at the feast of the resurrection as the time in which we are reborn. And our soul is sort of swept and put in order, cleaned. If we want to look at our own individual lives, we can think of our baptism as the time in which our souls are swept and put in order. But that's only the beginning of our walk with God. After that, it's necessary for our soul to be occupied by something, or more importantly, or more correctly, someone else, in order to prevent the demons from taking advantage. So God, in sort of his infinite love and mercy, comes Himself to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. This is the Feast of Pentecost, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the transformation that sort of began in the Feast of the Resurrection and on the day of our Baptism is further fulfilled in the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and in our Chrismation. And the Holy Spirit within us Himself has the effect of transforming and shaping our souls more perfectly into His image and His likeness. But God does not act towards us like a dictator or like a tyrant. He doesn't impose his will on us with no regard to our own desires. But he acts as a loving father, enables us by our voluntary action to submit to his will. And he works with us so that we might be changed. That's why it's necessary for us to cooperate with God, to allow him to work in us, to shape our will to his will. If we resist him, and we refuse to cooperate with his direction and his leading, then he's going to withdraw. He's not going to force himself on us unwillingly. So we have to develop within ourselves a desire for God. A desire that sort of surpasses all other kinds of desire. A love for him which is greater than any other love. So how do I develop this desire? How do I develop this love? What did we say before? If I wish to love somebody, then I act as though I love them. And in a short time, my love is going to grow and develop within my heart. So if I wish to develop a love for our Lord Jesus Christ, then we should begin to act as if we love Him already. If we adjust our behavior to conform with a supreme desire and love for God, then that desire and that love is going to grow in our hearts. When we desire Him, then He's going to come to dwell in us. And when He comes, He will transform us into His own image and likeness and dwell within us, uniting us to Himself. So I think the main takeaway of the Feast of the Pentecost is the cooperation of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. A reminder of that amazing gift that God desires to be within us, to be one with us, to be united with us, to help us to become more like Him. The recognition that That gift is important and that I have to resolve not to allow this gift to be wasted on me. But there are other things that I can take away from the events of the feast. The first that I can see is that the church was created by God. Christ established the church and he promised, like he said, that the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. So our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and after his death and burial and resurrection, the church is formed. The church comes into reality. We consider Pentecost as if sort of the birthday of the church. This is important for us to understand. It's not like St. Peter sort of called a meeting with the apostles and he said, okay, well now to today we're going to talk about making this thing called a church. And maybe they discuss it for a while and maybe St. James says something and St. John says something and they vote and they begin a church and they start a church in Jerusalem. It doesn't happen this way. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that we read today, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from where? Where did it come? From heaven. God began the church. God created the church. God brought the church into being, and it's His church, not ours. We are part of the body of Christ. But it's essential for us to realize this. It's important for us because uh, for many of us, we have a temptation to sort of look at what's happening in the world, and try to get the church to sort of line up with what's happening in the world, or what the world says, or how the world says to act. But this is not correct. This is not the way that God intended. The church might not ever be sort of the most popular institution in the world because the church often goes counter to popular culture. But God wants the church to stand for the truth, to be sort of an unshakable witness and presentation of the gospel because the church belongs to God. Church is His church, not ours. Second thing that I can take from the events of the Pentecost is the mission of the church is sort of to communicate the love of God the theme, if I could say there's a theme in the, in, the, in the happenings of Pentecost, is sort of communication, right? Sometimes people get really sort of bad theology and bad ideas about sort of the speaking in tongues. And it becomes a, a really controversial issue. But when you read what happened in Pentecost, the truth comes to the surface that God gave the gift of tongues to the apostles for one purpose, for one reason. And that purpose was communication. They had a problem with communication because people had come from All different countries, all different nations. And when you read the long list of nations that was read today, you realize that there's a language barrier that existed. And so because God wanted each of them to hear the tongue or the message in their own tongues, He performed a miracle and gave the apostles the gift of tongues so that they could communicate His message. So the mission of the church, even today, is to communicate the message of God. So if God wants to give a miracle to do that, then great. And He did. But I have to do whatever I can. And even though it's been 2,000 years, the mission of the church is the same. The moment I become a Christian, God is commissioning us to share His message with our little section of the world, wherever that may be. The third and the last thing that I can learn from the Feast of the Pentecost is the goal of the church is to establish a fellowship that is unique. You can see what happened after those early Christians after they hear the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, there were about 3,000 new converts. And suddenly they share something that maybe they had never shared before. All of them found and realized that they're guilty of sin. That Christ has been crucified for their sins and now they have to repent of their sins and they've been baptized, they've been saved, and they've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly they become part of this new society. They've come out of a world of slavery out of a world of superstition. They come out of a world of selfishness and greed and dishonesty. And now they're sort of part of a a new fellowship where they can share things about themselves with others whom they know will listen to them, who will be compassionate to them, kind towards them. And suddenly there's a whole different atmosphere because there were 3,000 changed people that God made different and made new. So it makes sense that the number quickly grew to, if you read later in the book of Acts, it grew to 5,000, and then into multitudes as the church sort of started to spread in Jerusalem. More and more people were attracted to them, because it was different than anything else in the world. So the church always has to be that. Most institutions are, are primarily interested with what they can get from you, but the church wants to give. The church wants to give. Many people will try to take advantage of you. But the church is where you come to hear the truth, to be ministered to, and to have the needs of your life met. We're supposed to be a different people, a different culture, sort of an oasis in the midst of the desert in this world, a shade on a hot summer day, sort of a cup of cool water when you're thirsty. The church has to be different. The people of the church have to be different. outside society. This is what Pentecost teaches us. The world changed after the Feast of Pentecost because of the Church's influence in the world. And this ought to be the same today. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.